So that little clip we saw on Abundant Joy, you go, where is that or what's happening? It's in Lake Forest. It's a little church that started a year ago tomorrow. So it's having its one-year-old birthday on Christmas Eve. And at our Christmas Eve service, we want to receive an offering that we can help give them and encourage them along the way. If you live within three miles of Lake Forest or five miles, I mean, I would ask you right now, go check it out once or twice or attend there once a month. Or, you know, when you're there, put your offering in there. They're, they're going to need it. And, and uh, they could use the help and encouragement. It's uh, multi-generational. It's multicultural. And it's just wanting to be another representation of Christ. And new churches often win a lot of new people to Christ. And uh, we're excited today in the 11 o'clock service, we're going to have six baptisms. And um, they, they are wanting to do the same of how do we win people to Christ and have them baptized and to grow up in their faith. So in our six baptisms here, it's pretty exciting. Let's see. Two are out of the uh, children's ministry. And three are out of the youth ministry. Well, two in uh, one in middle school, one in high school, one in college. And then one more, uh, Alice, is out of the Feed the Need ministry and uh, started coming and it's going to be baptized today. So uh, if you want to stick around at the 11, you can see six people be baptized. Well, who needs a Bible? We're going to be looking in God's Word. We want you to have one. They will bring one right to you. Just raise your hand and um, uh, we will be right on it and just uh, give one to you. So... Uh, if you need a Bible, just uh, don't be shy. Just raise your hand. You got a couple right over here, and uh, they will get that for you. Here it is, two days for Chris to, before Christmas. I hope you're, you are, have uh, been getting uh, ready and getting all your preparations. Anybody else here already overeat as part of your Christmas celebration? <laughs> yeah. Anybody else here overspend already, you know, collecting all those special gifts for that special someone? Uh, what is it? It's uh, Christmas. I mean, it's magical. It's mystical. I mean, it's celebrated all over the world, uh, you know, by, even by millions of people who are running away from God. They still celebrate Christmas. I mean, they might deny God's existence, or at least they're blocking God's entrance into their lives. And yet they long for something that can only be provided by God. It said man and women were created with the, in the image of God. There's a God-shaped vacuum in our soul that can only be filled by God himself, and nothing else fills it. And... Um, God came down at Christmas time as a man, as a little baby, really, and grew to be a man, and he came to die to save sinners, you and me. So it's a day of rejoicing for all people, and then they have the opportunity to, to hear and to respond uh, to what Jesus offers. So Christmas is supernatural. I mean, God came to earth as a, as a person, and he came for us. So we're in this series, God Came Down, and today we're looking at He Came Down for Us. And 700 years ago, before Christ, so 2,700 years ago, Isaiah wrote the passage that Pastor Ron read, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. I mean, that light is Jesus. And those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them the light has shined. You've multiplied the nation. You've increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For unto us a child is born, is where he started. I started a few verses earlier. That child is Jesus. Unto us a son is given. His name is Jesus. The government will be upon his shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts 
will accomplish this. So this series, we've looked at God came down in time. He came down in the flesh. He came down to die. Today we're looking at God came down for us. So I got thinking, well, where in the Bible does it say that God came down? And so if you look in Genesis 1, in the first chapter, um, you know, I'm sure that God came down a lot of times where He just showed up, and it doesn't say in the Bible, God came down, but there's several places that it actually says that, that, uh, you know, in the Bible begins with God creating the world and creating a man and a woman, placing them in a beautiful garden, and in the cool of the evening, He would come and walk with them there. He would come down, and He gave them free choice, so He planted a tree that He said, don't touch that one, so now they have a choice. Are we going to obey God and, and trust what He says and enjoy everything else in the garden and leave this one alone, or are we going to pick from the one that God said, don't touch? Well, eventually they did. And in the process, sin entered the world, and along with it, pain and heartache and grief and loss and death, all were in the package. And uh, God still loved them, but there were consequences. And so God sent them out of the beautiful garden to make it in the world that now is infested with sin. And now they would die. And God promised to send a Savior someday who would crush the head of the enemy, of the evil one, because God was still in love with people, and He wants a relationship with anyone who will invite Him in. Well, time went by, and a few chapters later, you get to Genesis 11. By then, people have messed it up so badly, God is sorry that He's made them, and He drowns most of them in a flood, saves eight. Uh, with Noah and his family, starts over, and then you get to Genesis 11, and in verse 1 of Genesis 11, it says, now the whole earth had one language and the same words, and as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they settled there, and they said to one another, come, let's make bricks and burn them thoroughly, and they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And then verse 5 says, And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. I mean, look what they came up with human effort. They said, let's work together. Let's work hard. Let's build a city. Then let's build a tower that goes all the way to the heavens. And then we can, we can touch God. In fact, we can become God. We can be master of our own destiny. And I don't know if you've noticed, I mean, you look at what Jesus is called, and if we line these up here, God came to see, and Jesus is called the Wonderful Counselor. But they haven't asked God's advice or input on any of this, making the city or the tower or all that working together. And God is the Wonderful Counselor. Now, I don't want to pick on any of our counselors here because there are some, but a counselor isn't all that helpful if you don't ask them any questions and, they, and then you don't listen to anything they say. And God came to see how they were doing. It's, it's like you're a parent in the kitchen or a grandparent, and you hear the kids out in the front room, and you know there's a problem. You know there's something going on. So you stick your head out to see. God came, the, it says, the Lord came down to see. Now, he already knew that life outside of a relationship with God is fruitless. It's pointless. I mean, a few people will be remembered in history for a while, but only those who love the Lord are going to live forever. And all our human effort, all our striving, all our building, all our own little towers, if God isn't in it, it's futile. It only ends in tears and in turmoil. And God came to see, and he saw people trying to make it on their own, trying to become their own God. And God wants a relationship with them. And so he introduced a little linguistic frustration. Now, we're still working on unwinding that 
to this day, thousands of years later. I mean, we have in our church Paul Eshelman, who heads up the Jesus Film Project, which is the story of Jesus in film that's been translated into more languages than any other movie in the history of the world. And also working on finishing the task of actually getting Scripture either in movie or in print some portion of it into every language in the world. And we're close to having that accomplished of every language group being adopted. And, but God used language to frustrate people and God can use frustrations to cause people to say, I don't know which way to turn. And then they turn and ask God for help. And in the process of God helping them, they grow in their appreciation of who God is and what God has done and can do for us. So God came to see and he saw people making a mess of it. Well, you go a little, so first time it says the Lord came down. He's the counselor that nobody thought to talk to. The second time it says the Lord came down, he shows he's mighty God. He came by declaring the guidelines of how you will live, called the law, summarized in the Ten Commandments. By this point, God had chosen a person, Abraham, and blessed his family, and they had become large and become a nation. Hunger had pushed them to Egypt to get food. They ended up sticking around much longer than you would want for company to stay. They stayed over 400 years. In fact, they were enslaved there. And finally, it says, God, in a dramatic way, carried them on eagles' wings and set them free, brought them out to the wilderness, headed them towards the promised land. But these were people who had been slaves. They hadn't made decisions on their own for their whole lives, and they need law, and they need order, they need guidance, and God gave them some. So they stopped at Mount Sinai, and God said, draw a line, people you stay on that side, just Moses come to the top. And it says in Exodus 19, 20, the Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord God called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And he's up there for about 40 days, and God spoke. God is giving guidance and guidelines. Here's what he said in Exodus 20. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You'll have no other gods before me, number one. Number two, no graven images. Number three, don't take God's name in vain. Number four, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Number five, honor your father and mother. You've heard these before. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. And do not covet. Now, these are still the standard that God has given. But unfortunately, if you read the story in the Bible, you look around in the world, you realize that most people don't live by them, just basically ignore a lot of what God says. And these slaves have been set free from slavery, but they continue to live enslaved to sin. They didn't obey what the mighty God told them. Somebody else is talking. You've got to find that phone somewhere and turn it off. <laughs> Thank you. So their relationship with God is strained. Do you know what happens when you disobey mighty God? There's consequences. There are consequences. Not at first, not all at once, not right away, but there will be consequences. There will be an accounting. And just like if you buy cut flowers, they've been cut and they look okay. They look beautiful, but they're dead. And they won't reproduce. They are dead. And they're going to end up showing that. And when we cut the relationship that we have with God, things might look okay at first. They will not stay that way. God knew that the very people He is trying to love are hopelessly mired in sin, like a dolphin caught in a fishing net which he cannot escape. 
So God took a bold step. He not only came to speak and to give guidance, he came to serve. He came into this world. That's the whole story of Christmas. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is that word. And so if you look at the other names we're looking at, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father. I don't know if you've ever thought of Jesus as an everlasting father, but he and the father are one, he said. And if you look at Jesus, there are parallels to how a dad would treat his children. I mean, Jesus saw there's a problem, so he personally came to provide patient guidance and a solution, like a good dad would do. God came down for us. Jesus called people to himself. Now, my dad, when it was in the afternoon and we're out playing, we just had a, a family rule. When you heard dad's shrill whistle, you drop your toys, you say goodbye on the run, you come running for home and yell, yell coming. Right? You just know you don't have any time to dilly-dally. When you hear his shrill whistle, he is calling you. And the only appropriate response is instant obedience. I had a dad in the last service say, you know, my kids, I had a whistle, and they would all have to turn in at least have eye contact with me. He says, we were down at the beach this week. They're all in their 40s. They all have their own kids. They're watching their kids at the beach. And I said to somebody, watch this. Watch my kids. And he did his whistle, and all four turned around and looked right at him. <laughs> Jesus calls people to himself. He's doing everything he can to get our attention. And he helped people with everyday problems. He healed the sick. He raised the lame. He gave sight to the blind. He fed people on a hungry day. He did miracles. And he gave patient guidance and instruction to anyone who was willing to listen. See, he came not as a, a king or a dictator, or as a scholar, or as a scribe. He came as a dad, the everlasting father. He came to serve as somebody who loves on his family. Now, there was a time where the disciples were getting a little too big for their britches, and Jesus taught them an object lesson. So he gathered them around, and he said to them, who's greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Who is, the, the, the patron or the waiter? He said, isn't the one who reclines at the table? He says, but I'm among you as one who serves. And they were supposed to go, hmm, if Jesus is serving others, I should do the same with my own life, not just have my own agenda. And Jesus came to give God's children exactly what they need. In fact, in another place, he said, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He came and gave his children exactly what they needed. Now, this week here at the church office, we got a very unusual request for Christmas. Somebody said, here is what I need. The doctor has said, to survive, I need a kidney. Does anybody have an extra kidney you could give for Christmas? Somebody needs one. And uh, so I just said, I will put it out there. Maybe most of us won't even consider it, but it's been done before. I have a cousin named Maynard, so he goes by the name Duke, as you can see why. And... Five years ago, he, the doctor said, if you don't get a kidney, you will not survive. So they put it on their church prayer chain. He lives in Zeeland, Michigan. And uh, so there, I guess, all the churches share prayer requests with each other. So uh, there's a woman, a single mom, actually, from another church, and she gets the prayer list, and she prays, I want to pray for Duke Guy because he needs a kidney. And she hears God's voice in her heart say, give him one of yours. Total stranger. This is a true story. 
And she's somebody who loves the Lord and has the Lord first in her life and says, did I hear you right? Give him one of mine. Well, there are six indicators that uh, at least half need to match. Even if you're going to give a kidney to a family member, they're going to check these six indicators. Guess how many of the indicators matched between that single mom and Duke? Six, of course, of course, because God was in this, okay? And so all six matched, and she has given him a kidney, and so he is alive to this day. So I know it can happen. I don't know if somebody here says, God's speaking to me. I have the kidney that this person needs here at church. But so Jesus gives us exactly what we need, and when he looked at the world, he realized every person in the world doesn't need necessarily a kidney, but they all need a heart transplant, because they have a heart of stone. They have a heart that's full of wickedness. They, and, and they need a heart transplant. And so Jesus, our everlasting Father, gave His children exactly what they needed. He gave His heart. He gave His life. He gave His blood for you and for me. He gave us mercy and grace. And to do it, it cost Him everything. He, you know, he, uh, he died for us. I mean, what was the gift? Well, mercy and grace. Do you know the difference between mercy and grace? Well, mercy is Jesus takes our sin. He who knew no sin become sin for us. Mercy is taking away the the, the pain and the death that we deserve. It's like somebody releasing you from handcuffs. And grace is he's giving us grace. So mercy, he's taking something. And grace is he's giving something that we are now cloaked. We are clothed in his righteousness. He puts you in your favorite New set of clothes. Isaiah 61 says, I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He's covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom, decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. That God would clothe us in his righteousness, in his grace. So Jesus came not only to serve as a loving, everlasting father or dad, he also came to save. He came to save because we needed that much help. He came down for us to see, to speak, to serve, to sacrifice. He came to save. In fact, that's why he was born, is he came to die, like Pastor Derek preached last week. And John Stott said that Christ died for us and it was necessary It was voluntary by him, and he secured our ransom. He died to bring us to God. The Bible says in 1 Peter 3, For Christ also suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. See, Christ died for our sins. Death and sin are closely connected, and Christ died our death. So, The Apostle Paul commented on this. He said, the saying is trustworthy and deserving full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners, of whom I'm the foremost. I think the King of James says, of whom I am chief. When you look at the life of Paul, he was born in the city of Tarsus about the same time Jesus was born, maybe shortly after. He was one of the brightest students, and early in his life, he found himself in rabbi school in Jerusalem. And he's given great responsibility early, and he took it seriously. And one of his first major tasks he was called on is to stamp out this new faith in, in Jesus of Nazareth, which was called Christianity. So he began by terrorizing people, putting some in prison, having some others beaten, had some put to death. He was trying to scare people away from Jesus. 
Now, that doesn't work, by the way. There was one of the church fathers named Tertullian who said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Tertullian was a prolific early Christian author from Carthage in, uh, in the Roman province in Africa, and he was trained as a lawyer and as an ordained priest. How you get those two in one person is a mystery, Hanjo. Huh, and, um, you know, he lived at a time it was illegal to be a Christian, so there were Christians who were losing their lives, becoming martyrs, simply because they loved Jesus. But as people watched him be put to death or burned at the stake, they said, I want what he had what he has. He had joy. He had peace. He had love. He had, he had purpose. He had a future and a home in heaven that can never be taken away from him. Give me Jesus. I've told you about the guy in Nigeria who's named Paul who was doing this very same thing, persecuting people, and then suddenly he had this powerful vision of Christ sitting right next to him in this shining white robe. Do you know it's cost him his family? It's cost him his job. It's cost him his home. He was beaten severely so bad that he had to be in the hospital for several weeks. He, a lot of his friends also became Christians. Many of them have been put to death this last year. He still clings to Jesus. He refuses to bend because he has seen Jesus face to face, and he knows what the future holds. At the same time, in Nigeria, there is a teenage girl who was put in prison, and they said to her, renounce Christ and we'll let you out. Her only crime is that she said, I love Jesus Christ. He's my Savior. And she has refused. So here over a year later, she is still sitting in prison every day because she is in love with Jesus. Paul was on this mission to stamp out the influence of Jesus, and suddenly he was blasted by the power of God. And he realized there as he's in this bright shining light how little, how insignificant he is, how guilty he really was. So he calls himself the foremost or the chief of sinners. And he asks Jesus, please forgive my sin and give me your grace and your mercy. And Paul became the, perhaps the greatest missionary and theologian that the church has ever produced in 2,000 years. He did write half the New Testament that every church reads. So Jesus came to save, to seek and to save the lost. He also came to share. His name is Emmanuel, which means God with us. He's the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, Emmanuel, God with us. Somebody came up after the first service and just said, now, I'm from a Jewish background, and the word Emmanuel is actually two words, Emmanuel and El. El means God, and it means God with us or God within us, that God came down for us. And he came to seek and to save the lost. And he wants more than that. He wants us to invite him into our life and then tell other people about him. Something great happens when you give your heart to Jesus. I mean, there's a, a young girl in the Bible, when she said yes to God's plan in her life, which just kind of, I mean, an angel just showed up and said, guess what? Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. The child to be born you within, from within you will be called the Son of God. He'll be called holy. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I'm a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. 
And then when she finally caught her breath and realized what had happened, that God's angel had stood right there in her presence and she hadn't died and he had shared good news and told her the plan for the future and she realized this is going to turn my life upside down. I think her heart is bursting with astonishment and joy and, I, and she turned this into a song that she sang to her relatives and friends. She said, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. He's looked on the humble estate of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he, is my, he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He's shown strength with his arm. He's scattered the proud in their thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from the thrones. He's exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. Jesus changed Mary's life forever, and she couldn't help except share it. You know, the angels were the same way. After Jesus was born, they just couldn't help. They just burst into the sky over a bunch of lowly shepherds. I always imagine this story happens at night. And they just scared the bejeepers out of these guys who finally have all the sheep settled in sleeping and tells them the good news. The Savior has been born. He is Christ the Lord. He's in the city of David. And the shepherds receive the gift. As soon as the angels leave, that says they went searching for the Christ child until they found him. So that means they went to Bethlehem and just started knocking on every door, waking everybody up. Hey, hey, psst, get a baby? Where is he? Oh, is he in the manger? And they finally found him. It says they came with haste. They found Mary, Joseph, and the baby lying in a manger. When they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. God came down, and it's good news. And it is news that's worth sharing. He has come to give us mercy and grace. And so really, we are no more than beggars leading other beggars to a place they can find food, to receive grace. So give your heart to Jesus today because you won't receive a better gift this Christmas than Jesus. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. He came down for us. We're going to sing about it up here with Handel's Messiah. If you have ever sung that before or you like the music or you wish you did, well, then you come up and sing. Let's pause and pray. Dear Jesus... We exalt you. Thank you for coming down to us. May we just lift you up as our King of kings and Lord of lords and celebrate you in our life. You are so wonderful, and we praise you. Amen.